I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right, this is The Big Douglas Show. Rapper Big Poe is in the co-host chair. And our guest today from The Athletic and the Wizards After Doc podcast is Fred Katz. Fred, thanks for giving us some time today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. I appreciate it. I was on my way to the little merchant down the street this earlier, and uh, they had fresh tomatoes. So I had me a fresh tomato sandwich for lunch today. I'm curious what you go. Pooh, no, no tomato sandwich for you? Absolutely spicy, not. Well, spicy, spicy mayonnaise, salt and pepper, provolone. Absolutely yeah. not. That's a, that's a Capri salad on bread. No, I don't want it. <laughs> All right, so then I'll I'll ask you, gentlemen, what is your go-to sandwich before we get to basketball? What what is your go? Who would start with you? What's your go-to sandwich? Um, got a toaster bread. Throw some pile it up with turkey or or turkey pastrami. Uh, some gouda or Havarti cheese. You know, a little mayo and a little bit of lettuce, and I'm good to go. Like that's it. Throw some chips on the sandwich so you have some some texture, chips some crunch. On, chips on the sandwich. On the sandwich, you got to put it in between the bread. That's a good sandwich. Although I have to say, I feel like the chips on the sandwich is only necessary if you don't toast the bread. Like that I, makes up for not toasting the bread. It gives you the extra crunch. You know? It does. I just I just like overly crunch. Just <laughs> <laughs> over crunch it. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm going I'm going I'm I'm a New Yorker so I'm going uh, I'm going wholesome to my to my upbringing and I'm just gonna say uh, pastrami and deli mustard on rye. And that's pastrami, pastrami and deli mustard is definitely if, if tomato sandwich is one pastrami on rye is definitely number two on the sandwich list. A good Reuben is a uh, is never a bad thing. Fred, you brought up something on your show the other day, and it surprised me. I thought maybe you'd expound on it for us today. Uh, and, Pooh, your, your video is up. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm working Bradley, on it. Bradley Beal does not need to make all NBA to essentially get all the money. Is that right? Because I was thinking, you know, that all NBA was important for him. You suggested it's not as far as the money goes. Right. So, I mean, so, so basically when people talk about making all NBA and how it relates to the super max, the type of contract we all talk about and the guys who get the suit, the Steph Curry, who gets the super max contract, the super max contract is only special in that it allows you to get the max, the max of the max, the largest max you can get earlier than you would otherwise be eligible for it. It's not necessarily a contract that other people aren't eligible for if they play the longest enough. So, so the way, the way it works is there are three types of max contracts. If you play under seven years, if you're, or I should say, if you've been in the league for under seven years, you can get a max contract that starts at about 25% of the cap. If you've been in the league seven to nine years, you can get, you can make up to a salary that starts about 30% of the cap. And if you've been in the league for 10 or more years, and I know everybody likes starting off a podcast with tons of math. If you've been in the league for 10 or more years, then you're eligible to earn a contract that starts at 35% of the salary cap. And that is what we call the super max. The, the concept of the super max is if you hit certain levels, like making all NBA a couple of times or, or winning MVP, then you're eligible for that 35% max, that largest max contract before you've been in the league for 10 years. So you could be in the league for eight years and be eligible for that super max. 
Bradley Beal, when he hits free agency in 2022, he's going to be a 10-year veteran. So he's going to be eligible for that 35%. And that's not a coincidence. I mean, that's the reason when he extended that he extended for one year uh, as opposed to two years or three years. I mean, there, there, were, there were other reasons too, but I, I am certain because when you look at how contracts tend to get set up, they all get set up that way. And there's a reason he can hit free agency as a guy who is eligible for the 35% max. Uh, you know, we'll see if he's a guy who ends up getting all of that to the dollar. Very few guys actually get that, that true super max 35% of, uh, you know, 35% of the cap, but uh, you know, he'll be, he'll be eligible whether he makes all NBA or not, which I don't think is as much of a guarantee as a lot of people thought at the beginning of the year, just because there are so many good guards right now. Real quick, just to yep. follow up on that, Fred, when you say that, though, has there ever been a guy that led the league in scoring that didn't get all NBA because he's up, I don't know, a point and a half, two points, if I recall right, in scoring? I'm curious if, if you know that or not, whether anybody has not gotten the all NBA while leading the league in scoring. That's a good question. I don't know off the top of my head. My my guess would be that somebody did uh, because All-NBA used to be only two teams, not three. And so my guess is at some point, somebody like somebody like uh, like the guy who I stretch back to always is Walt Bellamy, who was a rookie. And that's just because it's the it's it's the Wizards connection. It was the first year of existence for the Wizards franchise. And Walt Bellamy led the league in think led the league in scoring that year maybe maybe he didn't lead the league in scoring that year but comes close and gets no accolades for it because everybody was putting up numbers back then and there were only two teams uh i feel like maybe if guys i don't know who are some candidates who might have done that like maybe adrian dantley uh i'm trying to think of maybe somebody from one of those nuggets teams like the alex english kiki vandaway david thompson nuggets teams uh you know, I feel like somebody would have had to have led the league and not make all NBA, but you're right. It's, it would be really tough, but then you look down the, you look at the list of guards this year, right. certainly right there. I'm not arguing. He's not, he's obviously right there, but you know, Lillard's getting on there. He's a lock, you know, Doncic is a lock, you know, Harden is a lock, you know, Curry is a lock and there are only six spots and that's four. And then, like, last year, LeBron was eligible at guard. Kawhi was eligible at guard. Chris Middleton's a great player. Ben Simmons is a great player. You still got Kyrie. Uh, you got Donovan Mitchell with Utah having an unbelievable season. You got Chris Paul and Devin Booker in Phoenix. If those guys end up on the team with the second-best record in the league, one of those guys is making All-NBA, if not both, potentially. I mean, Chris Paul was second team last year. It's – I don't know how many guards I just named. It was a lot more than six. So – there are going to be a lot of people who everybody is going to look at and be like, how the hell is that guy? Not all NBA. And then you have to play the game of who you swapping out. And it's, it's, there, there are probably 10, 12 guys who you could argue are deserving of a spot on that team. Yeah. I think Bradley bill would have a better case if the wizards had a better record, uh, you know, him, Fred, I'm interested on your take. Do you feel like, Brad and and Westbrook are putting up empty stats, so to speak. Um, as you look at their record, obviously they're doing phenomenal things. I mean, leading the league and scoring and averaging a triple double is no small feat. Like it's 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 awesome to see. But do do they feel like empty stats to you? If, as you look at the record and then look at the numbers they're putting up. Uh, with Beal, I would say no. If, if you look at the on-off splits with Beal, and 
the eye test passes, you know, all this goes by the eye test. They just can't score when Beal's not on the floor. I, I never get the feeling that Beal's, you know, it may be every once in a while, but I think it's probably true for every great scorer that every once in a while, you know, they'll force it because it's kind of just what great scoring looks like when a team is really down. But for the most part, they can't score without Beal. He's their whole offense, and they have a pretty good offense when he's on there. You look at the on-off splits, uh, this might be one game old. I might have checked this a day ago, but they're averaging 113 points per 100 possessions when Beal is on the floor, which is a good offense. That is above-league average offense. It's it's good. It's not great. It's not elite, but it's good. That number goes down from 113 to 99 points per 100 possessions when he's off, which – which if that number belonged to a team, that would be the worst offense since the Sam Hinkie 76ers, that team that went 10 and 72. Wow. That is the only team in the last six years to have a worse offense than 99 per hundred. So that's the difference. You go from, I think 113 would be like 12th or 11th in the league. It's around where the Celtics offense is like 12th or 11th in the league in offense, which is good. I mean, that's above league average. Uh, and you take Beal away and you replace him with whomever you're replacing them with. And, their bench and the non-Beal lineups and all that. I think they're one and eight in games Beal doesn't play as well. You take Beal away and it's the worst offense in half a decade. So so I I don't think the Beal the Beal scoring is empty stats. I, I think he's a great scorer. And for Westbrook, I what's weird about Westbrook is it goes in and out. And that's what's so strange about Westbrook in that I don't think his stat line on and like the conventional box score line on any given night is indicative of how well he played. Mm. He can have 25, 15 and 15. And you could be like, that wasn't a great Westbrook game because he didn't control the offense as well. Or maybe the defense was off. Maybe he had a bunch of turnovers in bad spots. Uh, maybe he wasn't, you know, identifying and finding the right guys who were hot within the offense. And then he'll have a game where he has 21, eight and seven you'll be like, man, he was magnificent tonight. And sometimes he puts up those triple doubles and he's unbelievable. I mean, the, this last game that they played against Utah. He was very efficient. He was excellent. And yeah. it almost seems like it's just like when he chooses to do it, like it almost just seems like, all right, is he going to choose to only take shots at the rim and be like a ball control guy and use his speed when he should? Or is he going to kind of, you know, be bouncing off the walls the whole night? And, and, you know, that's always kind of been, I mean, I covered, I covered the thunder. So I I've covered Russ for, for years. I've, I've, I've seen so many games he played. I covered him during his, during his MVP season. That's always been the case with Russ. He's always had a range more so, you know, from night to night or even like play to play more so than any other great player in the league. I just think as he gets older, that range becomes more apparent and, and probably becomes wider, you know? Do you think and, and, and uh, that ball, my bad, that, that ball, it just amazes me though. Rebounding wise, it's not like they're moving out the way for him or, or he's like running them down. Somehow that the ball just finds its way to him on rebounds. I was watching that, that last game, um, 10 in the first half and he was not trying the ball. Just he'd be there in the ball show. If it was amazing. Yeah. He's, He's he's the best rebounding guard I've ever seen. And one of one of the things I've always kind of wanted to figure out a way to write about and study and and Russ is really hard to write about because he doesn't really give you much, you know. He doesn't really give you much as a starting point when you're talking to him about these things, but but something that he is amazing at. And this kind of goes back into the the conversation that 
that people had during his MVP season. And that kind of has persisted since about contested versus uncontested rebounds. I've always thought that was kind of a, a little bit of a BS conversation. Cause if you just, if you do the math and you say, all right, he gets an average amount of uncontested rebounds compared to his contested rebounds. And you just make that ratio leave league average he would still average like eight point something rebounds a game in most of these years as a point guard. It's like, okay. So, so he's a six, three point guard averaging eight to nine rebounds a game every year. It's pretty freaking amazing. Um, And one of the things that I think is really interesting. And also one of the reasons why I think he does grab those uncontested rebounds and look, he does, he does hunt boards. There's no question. He's an alpha rebounder. Every team has him. Andre Drummond is an alpha rebounder. DeAndre Jordan is an alpha rebounder. Every team has him. He's just a guard who is one. And that's not really something we ever see. But one of the things that he's amazing at, which you're kind of getting at is uh, like, you remember that moment in the last dance when, when Dennis Rodman was talking about how he could just read the ball when it was in the air mm-hmm. and know where it was going to go. Watch Russ position himself. Like one of my favorite things to watch with Russ is watching him position himself while a shot is in the air. He will go to wherever it's going to ricochet while the shot is in the air. He won't run to the rim. When people think crash the boards, they think run to the rim. He doesn't do that. He'll see a shot go up from the left wing and he'll notice off the fingertips that's short. And so he'll go to the right side of the wing, knowing it's going to ricochet the other way and he'll get it on the bounce or something like that. And, and studying him able to do that Like, I don't think that's a thing you can teach. I think that's just incredible rebounding instincts. And like Zach Randolph was amazing at that stuff. Uh, Apparently Moses Malone was like legendary at it. And, And I think Russ is as good as any player, at least of his era, at that specific type of rebounding, just finding what place to go to and just going there before the shot even hits the rim. I personally don't have a problem with the alpha rebounding being that the Wizards didn't really have a alpha rebounder <laughs> prior to oh, yeah. Russell Westbrook. Uh, my, my question to follow up what we was talking about previous with Westbrook, the way he fluctuates, you know, not necessarily box score, but just the way his game looks with the eye test. Do you think that's a product of when he feels he needs to give extra juice to whether that's to provide energy to the team or he just needs to do more when he starts pressing. That's when the turnovers come. That's when, well, the extra turnovers come and the the quick shots and things of that nature versus when he feels the game is more under control and he plays more under control. I honestly don't know. I have, I have no idea. That's what makes him the most fascinating. Like to me, he's, he's, he's always been one of the most fascinating players in the league because you have all these people on one side of him and all these people on the other side of him. And I'm yet to meet a Russell Westbrook centrist, you know, (laughs) who's just kind of reasonable while talking about Russell Westbrook. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. The reason he can be so confounding is because you, you start to think that is possible. And then he comes out against, you know, the best pressure defense in the league whoever it might be that year and plays this perfect you know pure point guard game where you know the other night he takes 11 shots and 
has 15 or 16 assists and, you know, three or two turnovers and uh, just plays this perfect and in control game. And he'll have, he'll have streaks where he just kind of decides like, okay, three games, four games, six games, I'm not taking threes. And yet you always start to kind of convince yourself, Oh, he's done taking threes. Now this is it. The flip is sw- the switch is flipped, and then uh, and then he goes back taking threes. It takes like eight in game five, you know, <laughs> uh, and then it's back. He does a similar thing where it's all right. He's on a streak now where you you look at, you know, you watch him play these last three four games. It's like oh man, the decision making has been really good. He was excellent against Utah. Um, you know, he was he's been really good on this road trip that they're on. He was great against Golden State. Uh, just finding finding teammates, setting up three-point shooters, getting to the rim, using his athleticism for all of these, you know, tremendous positives and setting pace and tone and all those things. And, you know, you think, okay, this is, he's, 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 he's finding a little something. He's getting a little more comfortable, but you you know, a a game of 25 shots, you know, a nine for 25 game is going to come too. So I, I think with Russ, I don't know. I've kind of stopped trying to figure out what makes it go, what makes it doesn't. If you ask him for what it's worth, he says he plays every game the same way. And I believe he plays every game the same way from an intensity standpoint. And they'll say the game tells you what to do. But there are certain moments where, you know, you know, you guys know basketball. There are certain moments where you see him playing a coverage and it's like, no, but the, the coverage would dictate you should swing it here. And he's not doing it. And great players can decide what to do on their own. I'm not saying that they can't. Uh, they don't have to do exactly what you should be doing based on where the defense is rotating. You can overpower them. That's what makes you great. Uh, it just makes him difficult to figure out. So quite honestly, I have spent years of my life covering Russell Westbrook, and I don't know the answer to that question. And I probably never will for sure. Fred, it feels like Tommy's been buying ingredients to cook, you know, Italian and the coaching staff is ready to make hamburgers. Uh, so, I mean, where, where are we headed? Uh, and should I be asking what we need to be looking for in the next head coach for the Wizards? Well, I'll tell you this much. You ever had mac and cheese on a hamburger? You can oh. do it. <laughs> no. You can, but, not, but that doesn't usually work well. <laughs> you can do it. It is a thing. I've had an egg on a hamburger too, but I don't do it every time. And I know um, a hamburger is good. That's that's very good, actually. <laughs> that's very good. Yeah, you go like uh, basically bacon, egg, and cheese with a hamburger. So, are you suggesting that the head coach should stay? I'm just suggesting that you should try mac and cheese on your burger. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna do that's it right after the Um, I agree. I think that's a proper analogy. I I agree with you. There are a lot of playmakers on the roster and a lot of them have kind of been wedged into uh, catch and shoot sorts of roles. And part of it is the coaching staff. And part of it is also, I mean, part of it is also just the way that the role-playing personnel complements the star personnel. Like we just had a long conversation about Russell Westbrook. Westbrook is going to handle the ball. He's not, he's not going to, play another way you're not gonna you can't trade for russell westbrook with any sort of thought and i'm not saying the wizards did but you can't trade for russell westbrook with any sort of thought other than 
this guy is going to control our offense and have a usage right around 30. That's how this is going to go. If you actually look at, you know, usage rate measures uh, for people who don't know usage rate measures, what percentage of possessions a player ends with either a foul, a shot or a turnover. So how many times is he ending a possession? So your average usage rate is about 20% because you got five guys on the floor. Uh, and the Wizards have only two guys with a usage rate over 20% right now, which is crazy. Everyone else is below average with the amount of possessions that they are ending. And I think that just shows a, it shows the dynamic of their offense. Beal and Westbrook take up an extremely disproportionate amount of their offensive responsibilities. And the other guys are more relegated to spot ups. Ru- Rui Hachimura gets a little more, he gets a little bit more involvement. I think he's 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 pretty clearly uh, stood out as a number three option this year. But everybody else, you know, Denny Avdias comes in as a playmaker, but he's he you know gets a few catch and goes every once in a while. Maybe can grab a defensive rebound and and take it the other way. But for the most part, he's in the corner. Garrison Matthews, he's a spot up guy who they're spotting up. Bertans is a spot up guy who they're spotting up. Uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, it makes it tough. It makes it tough to kind of figure out how to work those guys in. So I think part of it is on the coaching staff kind of being disconnected from the front office. And I think part of it is on just like when you have Beal and Westbrook, that's going to be the reality. And look, the coaching staff and the front office have clearly not seen eye to eye in terms of how to use certain guys on the roster. I mean, it was very obvious when they pick up a fourth year option on Troy Brown, and then Troy Brown doesn't play and they don't pick up a fourth year option on Jerome Robinson. And he's actually started a number of games and then they, and then he starts three games two weeks ago and then he sits for one and then he gets released. So like, it's, it's pretty clear the coaching staff and the front office are not seeing eye to eye on certain players. And when I say that, I don't think there's contention at all. I don't get that impression. It's just clearly there's a difference of opinion because you can't possibly the same person couldn't possibly think this guy should be our starter one day. And then we should just flat out release him and pay him his entire salary to leave the other day. These are two different people making two different decisions about the same player. So that, that I would say is the biggest thing, whether Brooks uh, and the front office are the same or different next year, I would say one thing that they need to get to is just make sure they're on the same page with the role players, because that sort of, of cohesion, I think is very, it's very important. The, the front office kind of has to be the architect and then the coach kind of has to be um, kind of the carpenter who's putting together all the tools, the way that the architect sees fit, you know? Uh, and, and I think uh, that's something that they can work on for next year, for sure. Fred, I was an advocate of um, trading Robin West, uh, Robin Lopez, uh, before the trade deadline, and it seems after the trade deadline, he's turned into something nobody expected from him. Uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, you mean? Yeah, you know, or maybe Kareem, Kareem, with and Kareem. He turned into Kareem with a lot of hair in the in the post, and and he's actually been um, a stabilizer of the offense, if you will, at at certain times. Did anybody see this coming? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's it's 
I actually think that this is going to sound ridiculous. Maybe, uh, maybe I have Stockholm syndrome because I watch too many Wizards games. Is there a more is there a more ridiculous play in is there a more ridiculous looking good play in basketball than a Robin Williams or Robin Williams than a Robin Lopez post up? The hook shot. I, it the flat it's hook. Absurd. It's <laughs> yeah. absurd. He looks. You know what you it looks like in the first half last year. You guys, you guys ever see, uh, you guys ever see a bridge that's over a river, and and a a big boat comes down the river, and the bridge just starts to lift up, so the boat can go through it. That's what his hook shop looks like. <laughs> just that bridge, that drawbridge, just slowly lifting up. It's it's got all the speed and mobility of that drawbridge. And yet he's shooting, he's like literally shooting 60 something percent on hook shots. And they show the graphic in every broadcast now that he's made the second most hook shots in the NBA behind Vucevic. Uh, he's, he's like a high volume post-up guy now. And in, in an era when post-ups this side of Joel Embiid are not efficient, they're just <laughs> running the second unit offense through Robin Lopez in the post and it's ridiculous and it totally works. I don't, he was, he was making them over Gobert. Like <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. Like I, it's, it's crazy looking, but I guess it's so crazy looking and so far from his body and he's so big, you can't block it. And, and so if he continues to make them, then just, just let them keep going. It's it's very weird. The, everything with the wizard centers this year is very weird. They use a yeah, three center because Glenn looks like he can't move sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then also like just the different the difference between Lopez and Gafford is is just unbelievable. Like it is it's a change up versus fastball. This is because they really had planned on Thomas Bryant being a big deal this year, right? I mean, that's kind of the vacuum that was created there. They really felt like he was going to be a big deal this year, right? Yes, they're they're really high on Thomas Bryant. I still yeah. think even after the the ACL injury, they're still high on Thomas Bryant. I I don't blame them. He's he's a really talented offensive center. I think he's he's made he still has a lot of progressions to make defensively. He I think has gotten better which is a good sign that he's going in the right direction. But offensively, I mean, in his seven, in his 10 games this year, he's like 71, 72% on twos and 43% on threes. It's like you have a center who can do that, who screens, who doesn't need the ball. He plays really hard. He's really beloved in the locker room. Everybody likes that guy. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, they're really high on him. He's still only 23 years old. So I, I don't think they're, they're, you know, you know, obviously it's really unfortunate to see a guy tear an ACL, but you know, when you're 23 years old in 2021 with modern medicine, you tear an ACL, like that's an injury you can come back from. He's not like a living, you know, he's not Gafford. He's not a living above the rim kind of center. Anyway, he's more based on skill and touch and screen setting and all that. So, you know, I think they think that he's going to be real, a real help for them next year. And you know what, like you look at what happened to their offense after he got hurt, and it kind of confirms what they think of him because their offense has been way worse this year. I mean, they 
they didn't just lose a screen setter and a roller with him. You know, they lost, they don't have very many three point shooters. I mean, Matthews and Bertans are the only two guys in their rotation right now with a three point percentage above, above league average. And Thomas Bryant would be the third because he's a good three point shooter. So, so that's a really versatile offensive arsenal that he's got. So he'll be good. But yeah, I mean, look, silver linings because it opened up that that Lopez post game. What is your <laughs> what is your reaction to watching? Because I I watch too many too much Wizards. My brain turns to mush. So do I. Too, too much. So what is what is your progression? I want to. You're a Wizards fan, right? Am I making that up? Absolutely. No, no, okay. no, absolutely. So what is your progression? Because I imagine like game one of the year, they're running Robin Lopez hookshot post-ups and you must be like, oh God, this is what's going to happen this year. And then when when does it turn for you that you're like, oh my God, throw another hookshot post-up to, to Lopez? It didn't It didn't become real to me because I was, when they had Lynn and Mo Wagner, I was like, why are you even playing Lopez? You have to figure out what you have in these young guys, right? Then they trade Mo. Gafford comes, but he gets injured. So now it's just Lynn and Lopez. But like I said, it's it's that point when after the trade deadline, it started to become a thing. But uh it was a couple games ago he hurt his quad and he couldn't come back in. And it's like the offense they were playing in the dark. <laughs> like nobody could hit a shot. They were turning the ball over. And that was is when it hit me like the the Lopez hook becomes the stabilizer. For the offense, especially when you don't have Bill, and when that second unit comes out, when Westbrook has to take a break, that that is the stabilizer, and that's when it really hit me. Like, wow! And and then you, he start putting up these numbers, and you're just like, I can't believe I'm seeing this guy who they brought in not for this, <laughs> for veteran leadership and quote unquote defense, and he's turned into uh the third. Some nights the third best score, some nights the second best score. <laughs> some like you just and, never know. And Netto, right? I was wrong on Neto too. Like I really didn't think he could play. And then he has games where you're like, wow, that guy he really could play. Yeah, Neto's pretty good if he's healthy. With Neto, yeah, it's he, just all about healthy. like if he's feeling healthy, he's good because he's he's scrappy as hell. And you know, his his nickname is the Nat. And I feel like that's <laughs> it's very apt. It's exactly what he is. He's just kind of right. like a a really annoying insect. He's really, a, he can get pushed around on defense, but he's just, he's annoying. Even when you're pushing him around, he's pretty good at getting into passing lanes. He plays hard. And yeah, I mean, he's a solid, he's a solid backup point guard as long as he can stay healthy. You know, he's banged up in Philly and he's banged up a few years in Utah. And I think that, that hurt him, but he can shoot a little bit. And yeah, he's just, he's exactly the type of player that Scott Brooks gravitates to also. Just we like, see. yeah, he's like he's like what Ron Baker strived to be. Oh my know? god! Don't <laughs> please don't invoke the name of Ron Baker. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm interested because, like you, I watch way too many Wizards games, but it it feels like every night or or most nights, I'm watching the other team, and everybody can hit jump shots, and then I'm watching the Wizards, and we're not just talking about threes here. But they couldn't throw a rock into the Atlantic Ocean. Am I the only one seeing that? It, do do they not work on their jump shots? <laughs> <laughs> they, they just don't have three points. They just don't have shooters, man. Like 
they they just don't really have shoot. Where are they in three point? In in the, they're basically bottom five in so, every. So how do they feel about that Berton signing now? That's a good question. What they will tell you is that yeah, it's been a down year, but we gave him five for a reason. You know, it's been a down year, but we're not necessarily worried about the next four. The circumstances of this year have, you know, had a disproportionate effect on him, which they have. He was late coming into training camp because he had visa issues getting back into the country. He then had to start the year on a minutes restriction. He then got, uh, he then was one of the players in the health and safety protocols uh, when they had to miss six games and then missed more because he was still in the protocols. He talked about having COVID and apparently he had a really, really bad uh, time with it. And so when he came back, I, I did this story would have been end of January, something like that about how not just that he was missing a bunch of shots, but the way he was missing shots and a disproportionate amount of his misses were coming short, which was telling you he just didn't have his legs. And I want to say in his first 29 games that he took after his first 29 shots that he took after coming back from that season suspension, when he was in the protocols, his first 29 threes that he took after coming back 28 of them, his first 29 misses, I should say, 28 of them were misses short. So, I mean, he just didn't have his legs. Uh, and then he gets hurt, which, you know, we could tie back to the fact that he wasn't, you know, totally in midseason shape. And they'll tell you that all of those circumstances add up to, yeah, of course, Bertans is not going to be as good as he was last year. Now, I will add that he also didn't take the initiative to work out during the offseason. He admittedly was not playing uh, through most of the time. Now, I understand circumstances are crazy, so I'm a little less judgmental in the middle of a pandemic. I don't know what things are like in Latvia. Like, I have, I really have no idea. And, you know, I don't know what's going on at home for him or anything like that. So I try to be more sympathetic to a situation like that than I would in a normal year. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you don't play basketball for six months. It's going to be really hard to be as good playing in the NBA as you were the year before. So I think the Wizards hope that, you know, he will go back to having one of the five best shooting seasons. But ultimately for him, it's like, you know, there's that saying, if you ask a coach, you know, so-and-so didn't play well tonight, right? And they'll say, no, he didn't shoot well. Bradley Beal didn't shoot well, but he played well. He created well and defended well and all those things. And with Bertans, it's like, if he doesn't shoot well, that's his value. And, and he doesn't just have to shoot well. In order to justify the money, he has to shoot like a top five, top six shooter in the NBA. And that has not been the case this year. Right. I'm interested on your take. If Ted Leonsis called you up tonight and said, Fred Katz, you are now running basketball operations for the Wizards today. Which direction do you go? Do you retool? Do you rebuild? I would probably rebuild. That I mean, assuming the offers for Beal would be what I assume they would be, you know. Uh, did this happen before the trade deadline or is it happening right off now? Off season. Off season. All right. Yeah. I mean, 
I still think the offers for Beal will be there. You know, I'd be calling up Golden State. It's not because I think any less of Beal than the Wizards do. I mean, it's just, I don't know how you get there. And unless Beal is going to flat out commit to many years beyond 2022 when he can be a free agent, you know, I, I, it, it is such an unbelievable risk for a team that is consistently well below 500 to bank on no matter how many times Beal says the right thing. Uh, it's an incredible risk to go into the last year of a guy's deal saying, yeah, we're just going to try to resign him. Uh, you know, a guy is never, a guy is never resigned in a scenario like that in, in the recent NBA that just doesn't really happen. And, and there are, are comparables with Lillard, but like those teams were good. They weren't winning championships, but they weren't 50 lost teams year in and year out. You know, it's not, it's not the same thing. So you know, you could get an unbelievable amount for Beal. I think, you know, I'd be calling up Golden State and seeing how about Wiseman and that Minnesota pick and, you know, Wiggins. And then let's 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 talk from there. I And that's what you think the package looks like. I mean, that, that's what it would require, right? Because it, in the yeah. end, you're trying to find the deal anyway. I mean, look, Drew Holiday required about a million and six first round picks. If that's what Drew Holiday is getting, then I'm getting way more for Bradley Beal. And if I can't get it, then I'm I'm holding on to him until I can. But he's such a great player. He's not just a great player, but he's he's a versatile offensive player. I don't think he's a disruptive offensive player where if you acquire him, you have to say, all right, well, now we have to completely rework our offensive system. I mean, you can put him next to a ball dominant guy. We've seen it this year. We put him you put him next to maybe the most ball dominant point guard in the league and he's leading the league in scoring because he's, he's excellent off the ball. He's amazing running around pin downs and all of that. I mean, I, I don't know how many stars in the league are better running off of screens and freeing themselves, getting open, reading a defense and finding the right direction. I mean, I, to me, he's kind of on that same level as, as Clay Thompson, JJ Redick in, in not the shooting ability, but the ability to actually move and get open doing that. And I think his basket cuts are probably better than someone like Reddick gets the line a ton. Uh, you know, he's, he's been an efficient scorer this year. He can run pick and rolls for you. He can run basically run point for you if you need him to. So I don't think he's very disruptive schematically. Uh, so I think any team that could get him and that's in a position to where they feel like that's our player and we're a player away. I think any team would be very, very interested. Um, you know, a thing that is going to become more and more difficult is so many teams have traded so many first round picks and have also protected first round picks so far out that it makes it so you can't get as large of a pack, large of a package from some of those teams. Um, but you know, I think golden state is an intuitive one. You know, the Knicks would be an intuitive one. I guess Brooklyn would be out now. I, you could call up new Orleans. Uh, you know, you could call up, you could call up Dallas. Uh, you could call up Toronto. I mean, there are, there are teams that you could call for sure. Do you think in a in a package for Bill, the most important piece would be the draft pick or the young player coming back? I think it depends on who the young player is. I mean, it depends on the player. I mean, look if if Minnesota feels like we're swinging for the fence with one more try to keep Carl Anthony Towns, and we'll give you Anthony Edwards, then. 
Sorry, New York. The player. (laughs) Right. And the player. Um, To me, uh, in Golden State, for example, I like James Wiseman, but I think it's the Minnesota pick. Like that Mm -hmm. to me is is the value. That Minnesota pick to me is the most valuable, potentially movable asset in the league right now because that's top three protected this year and then it's unprotected next year. And I, I don't know. Is Minnesota really going to they're, they're going to be next year? No, they're, they're going to be right back where they are. <laughs> is the league going to consider rechanging the way the draft is done? I mean, I know why they did it because of the Philly tanking and all that, but it's not really something teams can do too much. You think they'll consider switching the way that happens? Not for a bit, because they just changed the tanking odds a couple of years ago. And and they put in the play-in tournament as kind of part of an anti-tanking. Like the play-in tournament to me is anti-tanking legislation because it's 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 a measure to try to get teams basically in the position the wizards are in to say no 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 no, no. go for go for number ten don't don't go for number one. Uh, so so I think uh, I think that was an anti-tanking uh, move and and the changing the lottery odds what was that three years ago now changing the lottery odds is is something also and i think they the league feels like that's helped a decent amount not that many teams i mean teams are always going to transition at this point in the year you're always going to have a handful of teams that transition to tanking but not that many teams started out this year trying to lose you know you look at the eastern conference and it's like the teams that are in that potentially 13 to 8 slot it's like the Knicks were trying to lose and they ended up actually being pretty decent but Charlotte was trying to win Atlanta was trying to win the Bulls were trying to win the Wizards were trying to win Uh, a lot of those teams were actually trying to win games and then some of them Orlando trying to win and then Orlando you know mid-season they're like well this didn't work and then they tear it down at that point but actually coming into the year there weren't that many teams, you know, Houston was trying to win. They just really did not do a good job at it. And so then they had to reverse course. Uh, so, so I actually think that the tanking stuff, the lottery odds change did have uh, somewhat of a, of a help in terms of diverting tanking. So I don't think a big change would be coming soon, but down the line at some point, yeah, they'll probably adjust something. Maybe I'm just sad because the ping pong ball never seems to, bounce our way when it comes (laughs) see i think i've i've always been i'm 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 a draft extremist they'll never do this but i think they should eliminate the draft i think everybody should for the nfl the other day a lot of people are are big on that yeah eliminate the the draft yep eliminate the draft keep the salary cap and just say like all right you you want the number one pick you want uh you want kid cunningham Go sign him. If you're over the cap, you're not going to be able to give him a good contract. If you're under the salary cap, go offer Kid Cunningham $15 million a year and see if he's worth it. You might end up with some terrible contracts. If you give Anthony, if you give Anthony Bennett $14 million a year, you might end up getting screwed. Anthony who? (laughs) Yeah, Anthony who? (laughs) But like, I think that that I just think that would be fun too. Fred, should the Wizards be still trying for this? play in tournament i mean they have like the fifth worst record in the league should they should they be trying 
for this tournament or should they at this point with so few games left just easing back the minutes on I don't know if Westbrook will allow Scott to do that for him but just easing back their minutes and kind of letting their young players get this experience and just rolling the dice on this draft thing and and, and trying to new next year and did Beal say he determines when he plays that's what he said <laughs> I I thought what I, that I was stupefied. I mean, literally, I'm not often uh, just blown away. What he said, I forget what the quote was, but basically, like, I tell them when I'm going to play and how long I want to play. And I was like, really? Because uh, but that, that, that sounds right. That's that's kind of been his. If, if you've been listening, that's been part of his reasoning for the commitment to the Wizards is if I go somewhere else, what I have here, the, the say, the control, what I have here. I don't necessarily get somewhere else. And that's hard to give up for a player that has it now. Like he has it and, and they listen to him obviously because he determined when he plays and how much, but you go to a golden state. It doesn't work that way. You're not the guy there. That's Steph's team. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, you go to, you know, you, you go to like the Knicks, then that's your team. But that's been part of his 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 reasoning um from what i've read yeah no i mean i've spoken to him about that so you're a hundred percent right that's i think that's an important thing for him kind of being able to do that and it's not even just being the guy like when people hear being the guy they think that means getting the shots and getting to be the man in the locker room and all that like yeah if he goes to the knicks he would be the guy but it's more how the organization handles him being the guy where like you're right, it goes so much more into it. Where it's he's got he's got authority inside that organization. He's one of the most powerful employees inside the organization, and they they treat him that way. So he's talked about the front office asking his opinion on transactions. And yeah, you're right. You know, I hadn't even thought about that, but you're you're definitely right. Like that's a connection that that totally exists. Where it's he he can decide i feel good to go i don't feel good to go and you know it's that's that's his team there's no question that is he makes it clear they make it clear they say we're building around bradley beal like that's that's his team you're totally right um i i for what it's worth to answer your question i would feel like it was a serious missed opportunity if i went into next year and I didn't know what I had in every single important young guy that's on the roster. Like I would feel like it would be a real problem if I went into next year, not knowing what caliber facilitator Denny Avdia is, you know, now they're playing him off the ball and kind of relegating him to the corner for the most part. And, gets to do some other stuff, but that's pretty much it. And he comes into the league as this guy who can be a secondary playmaker for you, right? And a playmaker on the wing in spite of his size. And that's potentially a huge advantage. And I I just don't, I don't know. Like, you know, people ask me, well, you think he's going to be able to do that in the league? I'm like, I, I don't know. Just because there hasn't, it's not like he's consistently failed at it. He just hasn't really, had the opportunity to do it. And there are still 20 games left. They can still shift course and do that. But that kind of stuff is the stuff you need 
answers to, you know, you just need to be able to answer those kinds of questions. And I, I think we're able to answer those questions with Rui now. They're giving a lot of opportunities to Rui and he's, he's been good for about, about a month, maybe a little bit over a month. He's been on, he struggled against Utah, but other than that game, he's been on a really nice streak. I think he's a little better defensively. He's been playing more decisively. He's stronger around the rim. Uh, he's he's taken nice steps. His shot distribution's better. Like he's he's taken nice steps this year. Uh, but I just you got to know what you have in Denny. And you know they never really found out what they had in Troy Brown. They just they never put themselves in a position to find out about it, and they just kind of had to give him somewhere else. I'd want to know what I have in Gafford too. I mean, Gafford's young right. as hell and under two contract for two years after this one. And Chicago kind of gave up on him the same way the Wizards gave up on Troy Brown. It was kind of just like, well, we don't really want our stuff as much as you want our stuff. And we want your stuff a little more than you want your stuff. So let's just flip them for each other. That was that trade. And now Gafford comes to Washington and has just been uh, just destroying for four games. And uh, I would want to know, wait, like is, what is Daniel Gafford? Is he, is he, I think he's a, he's going to have a career, but is he Nerlens Noel? Is he, well, let's stay along Nick's bigs. Is he Mitchell Roberts? Is he Mitchell Robinson? Is he Robert Williams? Like what, what career is he JaVale? Like what, what career is he potentially going to be like a, a really good defensive, you know, center who can throw down logs, is he DeAndre Jordan? Like what, what, kind of athletic lob catching shot blocking big man is he going to be and what kind of difference can he make on the court so i would be trying to figure all that stuff out as much as possible so i can have a better idea going into next year because especially if you are going to keep bradley beal into next year which every indication right now is that they would prefer to do that then um you need to know what your holes are and what you need to fix and you can't do that without having as certain um, you know, as certain opinions as you possibly can about the guys already on the roster. Absolutely. Well, Fred, we thank you for your time today. You've given us plenty of time today. We, we, we surely appreciate it. Um, let the people know what you have coming up next and where they can find you. Yeah. So I got, I got a, uh, if you're really a Wizards fan, I got a Garrison Matthews story coming out at some point soon. Um, and uh, you can find all my stuff over on the athletic um, you can listen to my podcast, Wizards After Dark. You can follow me on Twitter at Fred Katz. Um, that's it. Thanks for having me, guys. I, no I appreciate you having me on. It's yeah, always dark. It's always it's dark as a Wizards fan. It's always dark. <laughs> <laughs> Besides the 2016-2017 season, it's, it's just been dark. Oh, and and that, I, that feels like a long time ago. I know. I mean, there there are times where I'm like, it's, it's hard because you have to write what's true. But you, but you also like just, I don't know, sports are supposed to be fun. So it's just really hard to constantly churn out all this depressing crap over and over again in a season that's been really underwhelming. And it's just, uh, you know, uh, Russ, Russ is struggling and here's the story and Russ can't hit a free throw and here's the story and Beal might not make all NBA, even though he's leading the league in scoring. And here's the story. And here's the story about the defense not being good and all these things. And you're like, you, you you just sound like such a Debbie Downer the whole time and it's depressing. And I'm like, if I'm a Wizards fan, why the hell would I read all this stuff? And so I try to 
to think of fun, positive things. And then you put yourself at risk of being like a homer for a team that's, you know, 20 and 33. So it's a very difficult line to tread. Uh, so I'm with you. Yeah. You got to try to have fun with it either way, but it can be tough. Absolutely. Well, thank we you. Fun today. Thank you, Fred. Thank you again. Have a good one. Thanks so much, guys. That was fun. All Thanks, right. Fred. That was great. That was great. I love the Robin Lopez second segment. <laughs> it's ridiculous. He's he's like the number one guy who like I wish the world were were normal so I could cover him in person right now. Listen, I'm just I I was reading this report of how he like what he eats before games and after games and yeah the the Bengaliver thing or the yeah. Mahoney thing yeah. yeah yeah I was reading that and then so you read that and he's known as the guy who beat up you know mascots and now you have Robin Hook Lopez it's it's amazing he's he's funny as hell so he I'll I'll, I'll read you guys this so he did a thing where Scott Scott Brooks said in a press conference I don't know if you saw it. Scott Brooks said in a press conference that he couldn't jump over a South Dakota phone book. Wow. And, and, and so I asked, and so Robin was talking to us that same day. And so I asked Robin in the zoom, uh, you know, Scott says you can't jump over a South Dakota phone book. What, what phone book could you jump over? And Robin quickly said, well, Wyoming, that's the least populous state. Right. <laughs> I was like, how the hell does he know that off top of his head? And so I, I Google it. And I, I look it up and I I see Wyoming is the least populous state. He just had it off the top of his head. And so I texted, he said, somebody fact check me on that. So I texted him just a screenshot of like the Google, the Google answer. I said, now that's impressive. And he, and this was the same night they played Denver. And he like, remember he like, like really Jokic really struggled against him after mm-hmm. getting off to that hot start against Mo. And all the questions were about, um, all the questions were about like his defense against Jokic. And so I texted him. Now that's impressive with the Wyoming screenshot. And he responded, I'm more proud of myself for this than anything else that happened tonight. <laughs> Stanford guy. Stanford guy. Well, he's funny as shit. Nice. He's really uh, funny. Yeah. Well, yeah, I covered, uh, I covered Steven Adams. So I love covering him funny funny big guys 